This is the murderer you know. Happy New Year. Oh my God. Happy New uh, Year. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Another year of excitement and murder. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what a wonderful way to put it. <laughs> well, it's our first episode of 2024. Thanks for bearing with us while we took a little break. It's actually really good that we had planned to take a break because as you know, mom, I was sick over Christmas and basically almost completely lost my voice. (laughs) So we would have had to take a break anyway. Right. I guess you could have, I don't know, mimed your part. We'd have had to go (laughs) visual (laughs) and had two little hands up there. (laughs) Maybe. Sounds very complicated. It does. It does. (laughs) But fun, maybe. Could be fun. But I I think sometimes we all need a break. We all need a break. So Mm -hmm. now we're, we're rested, we're well, and we're raring to go. We're ready. And interestingly, we started 2023 with two episodes on the crime that made me obsessed with true crime, (laughs) which, well, it's not one crime, but it is a collection of crimes, which were the Parkway murders in the late 80s. Yes, and that that was certainly an obsession around here for a long time, and Mm -hmm. a lot of people were, yeah, pretty freaked out about it. And I guess as time passed and they were never solved, it just made it worse and worse and worse. I agree. Now, Mom, when we talked about this story in more detail, I polled you throughout (laughs) pop quizzes. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. I remember in great detail. (laughs) Pop quiz, pop quiz, pop quiz. (laughs) And you, from those pop quizzes, initially thought that all of these crimes were the work of two serial killers working together. Maybe one of them was posing as an authority figure. That seemed to be a pretty big part of your theory. I don't think any of my theories are completely original. I I think most of them have been postulated by others. Yes. By the end of the two episodes, the last, I listened to these in preparation for today, and you guys will probably see why very shortly. But by (laughs) the end of the two episodes, and just a teeny tiny glimpse into at least I think it was somewhere around eight different double murders. That's complicating things a little bit because there were five that we really focused on and four that most people consider as part of the Parkway murders. But we talked about at least three other crimes that double murders that happened in Virginia in the general time frame and even up into, I think, the early 2000s. And by the end of this discussion of little bits and pieces and breadcrumbs, you thought that perhaps one of the major stories where a 20-year-old and a 14-year-old were killed on a wildlife refuge was potentially unrelated to the four other major crimes we discussed. 
Right. For a variety of reasons. One, it wasn't on the Colonial Parkway, but also I think it was the only one where a gun was used. Well, as far as we know. That's true. Because one couple (laughs) has never been found. And the fourth commonly linked couple was only found as skeletal remains. So they could have been shot, just not in a bony part of their body. Yeah, that is true. That could is have been true. a flesh they really, wound. They really only know the cause of the deaths of the first murder victims. Yes. And as a reminder, there were four pretty consistently linked double murders that happened in the late 80s. A couple who was killed in 1986, and they were found in their car on the parkway. This one I already mentioned, where a 20-year-old man and a 14-year-old girl were found shot and drowned in 1987. Two college students out on their first date who were never found, but the guy's car was found abandoned on the parkway with some of their belongings inside, and that Mm -hmm. was in 1988. And the fourth, like, always lumped in crime was a young woman and her boyfriend's brother. And they were the ones whose skeletal remains were found on a hunting path over a month after they went missing in 1989. And that one also did not take place on the parkway. Right. And it had some some odd bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. But if you think of, of... If you think of the couple that disappeared and were never found, obviously this last couple, the murderer was trying to disappear them as well. And Mm -hmm. in both cases, only the abandoned vehicles were found. So there were some similarities. There were lots of sort of loose similarities between all four, Mm -hmm. but also some differences, obviously enough differences that even after just hearing a little bit, we were, I I mean, I, from the beginning, I think as a kid, I thought it was a serial killer, but in my adult life, I have really not subscribed to that theory. And Uh by the end, you were sort of waning on that idea (laughs) as well. If you all want to hear more about these cases, you can go back to episodes 27 and 28 from 2023. We aren't going to get into a lot of details about most of them tonight. If you want to hear an update on one of these cases, which has been evolving this very week here in our neck of the woods, stick around for this episode. I am going to stick around. Or go back and listen and then come back. (laughs) Always an option as well. Yeah, I think we did a really deep dive into the story a year ago. So I would certainly recommend going back and listening. (laughs) So this update, which seems appropriate since we did cover this story almost exactly a year ago for our first episode in 2023, only involves one of the four classically linked Parkway murder cases. Sort of there goes the serial killer theory <laughs> held by a lot of locals. Well, wait a minute. You can still kill six people and be a serial killer just because you didn't kill eight (laughs) well don't it's a good point don't give up on the serial killer in general theory too quickly okay because it's gonna come back okay 
Now, what we're going to attempt here may be weird or awkward or not fit well together. So (laughs) just be ready for some potential excitement. But we're going to try to splice some bits and pieces from episodes 27 and 28 in here, just to remind us all of the details that are pertinent to the update. Uh Aha. So that's going to be happening now for the next 20 minutes or so. Splice, splice, splice. Chop, 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 and hopefully some editing magic. And 2024 host and mom will see you in a bit. (laughs) So here's our timeline. On September 19th, a 20-year-old man who worked for his dad's landscaping business met a 14-year-old girl when he was out with his younger brother and cousin. It's sort of unclear. It seems like potentially the 14-year-old girl was on a date with this 20-year-old guy's younger brother, but all of them hung out and it seems like the two of them hit it off in some way, shape, or form. It's very unclear even now. I mean, obviously... Not to be too spoily, but no one knows what happened after this, (laughs) essentially, for the most part. So it's all sort of conjecture, or at least the bulk of it is. So this guy, it's not necessarily assumed that he had a romantic interest in the girl that he met because he was actually expecting a baby with his long-term girlfriend And the young woman, she was described as full of energy, not afraid of anything. Her family said she was well-liked and adored, but she did have some trouble with her mental health and she was prone to running away and reckless behavior. In fact, her family initially thought that she had just run away, which she had done many times before when she was missing. But they also said that she was in therapy in the months leading up to her death and was making a lot of improvements in those areas. So he had taken the young woman out with his younger brother and cousin. They went to an arcade and then he dropped her off at home. These things, this is like the last bit that's known for sure. And he and his brother went home to their mom's house. Later that night, the two brothers were enjoying a cigarette in the driveway when the older brother got in his truck, said goodnight. I don't know if he didn't live there or what. I think it's likely that he didn't, but he was just heading out for the night, said goodbye to his little brother, and his little brother never forgot this night of smoking a cigarette out in the driveway together because it was the last time he ever saw his brother, which Mm. is just sad, so sad. It is assumed that the young woman snuck out of her house to meet back up with this guy. Like I said, no one knows why, no one knows when, but presumably they ended up together. It was a very, very, very rainy night and the two of them went to a lover's lane area about 30 minutes from where our last couple was found in their car only one year before. On the 20th, so the next day, the young man's truck was found abandoned in a parking lot at this Lover's Lane area. It's actually on a wildlife refuge. It was... It's kind of an an island, isn't it? Yes. I mean, not exactly 
like an sort island of, in yes. the middle of nowhere, but mm -hmm. just an island kind of right off the coast. And yep. I guess there was a, a little bridge that connected the island to. Yep. And that's probably why it was a wildlife refuge. Probably couldn't build on it. So they just left it in its natural state. So the truck, the doors were closed, but unlocked. The windshield wipers were running. The radio was on and the keys were in the ignition. Wow. Yeah. His driver's side window was rolled down just the unciest, unciest little bit. And some clothes, including two pairs of underwear and shoes, were found in the car along with his wallet, which was out and open. Sound familiar? Hmm. His family said that his truck was his prized possession and that he never, ever, ever would have left it in the state that it was found. And they immediately knew something was wrong. And they were out there pounding the pavement, searching the woods, searching the beaches, searching the water. I mean, they were out there like from this day moving forward. On the 23rd, the young man's father, who had been searching the area on foot with other family members, found two partially decomposed bodies washed up in a sandy cove about a mile downriver from the truck. The bodies were those of his son and the young woman that he met at the arcade on the 19th. His son was shot twice, once in the shoulder and then in the back of the head. And the young woman was also shot in the back of the head execution style. Her pants were also partly rolled down, but since it was assumed that she and this young man may have had some sort of sexual relationship, sexual assault was ruled out as the motive for the crime. And Robbery was also ruled out due to the presence of his wallet, which had money in it, just like the crime back in 1986. You think we were talking about how did they subdue these two girls? And so maybe there was a gun involved in the first crime, but but the girls didn't like, you know, they Resist. complied. Yes, they complied. Maybe. And so he didn't need to shoot them. But maybe the young guy, like, attacked, got shot in the shoulder, then was, you know, and then they shot him. Mm -hmm. So, Did I mean, you they're trying to trying to make it be a serial killer. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, the the similarities that they disappeared at night. It was just two of them. And I guess this time the guy thought, well, I'll throw the bodies in the river and they'll never be seen again because they could certainly have been washed out to the ocean if the yeah. tides had been right yeah so based on the evidence at the scene at the time officers suspected that the young man had tried to run and that's why he was shot twice no oh, okay was running they tried to get him in the back of the head and got his shoulder the first time and then got him in the back of the head which killed him and they also thought that the assailant may have posed as some sort of officer, a park ranger. People are always afraid when they're in the mean streets of the big city. But when you're just in the woods where you should probably far more afraid because you're alone and away from everybody, 
You just don't think bad things are going to happen. I mean, this guy, this young fellow probably went to that wildlife refuge a hundred times. Yeah. Friends with his girlfriend, with other girls, and they probably went there in the daytime and at night. So it's just like, this is my safe place. You know, this is not a bad place. And that's what I was saying in the very beginning. I think people thought these were safe places Mm -hmm. and that's what made it that much more shocking and horrible. Mm -hmm. So also in 1988, a new sheriff in the area was approached by a woman who said that some guns were stolen from her house. So this is getting into suspect territory instead of just theories. Hmm. The sheriff quickly narrowed in on this woman's son as the person who stole the guns from her. And while he was interviewing this young man, for some reason, the deaths of the couple on the wildlife refuge came up. And this guy gave conflicting stories to the sheriff. He was constantly changing what he said happened that night, what he saw, what he did. But eventually he stated that he came across the truck abandoned. He stole some money from the truck from the owner's wallet, but he never saw anything, never came across the owner of the truck and fled when he heard a loud noise. Hmm. This guy was actually given a polygraph test, which was inconclusive, but which we also know polygraph tests are garbage, but, (laughs) (laughs) but the sheriff believes like to this day that this guy is the person who killed this couple on the, not really probably couple, but these two young people on the wildlife refuge. He thinks that the truth is that this guy was robbing the owner of the truck who heard noises and came back to his truck, arrived back to the parking lot, wrong place, wrong time kind of thing, startled the thief who then shot him and his date. And while there was nothing else connecting this guy to the other Parkway murders, they did stop, unless you believe the fifth one is related, (laughs) (laughs) after his death in 1989 which occurred a couple of months after the last couple was found okay hopefully that little replay gave us some context to move forward from now at this point we also need to introduce another unsolved murder but not a parkway affiliated one Yes, there are plenty of murders not affiliated with the Parkway. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I mean, I remember from last year, it did seem like they really tried to throw like any two people that were (laughs) killed in Virginia into this group. I don't know. My memory is it was pretty much these four couples and why they... No, then there was the fifth couple that a lot of people do lump in that were killed up in like a Northern Virginia State Park. But you know, when you brought that up, I had never heard of those two people. So they were not in my mind as Mm -hmm. part of the Mm -hmm. parkway. I mean, there were certainly some similarities, but when people around here, when we old folks who lived through (laughs) those terrible times, that was not one of them that we considered. Yeah, definitely wasn't in the classic grouping. 
but it was there for a lot of people. Yes, yes. So just under two years after the unsolved case that we just heard a recap of on Ragged Island Wildlife Refuge, and a mere 12 miles away, police in Hampton had a mystery of their own on their hands. Mm -hmm. In June of 1989, a 29-year-old mother of two was going through a divorce. Lately, she had been struggling with addiction, both to drugs and alcohol, and she had also been battling depression and financial woes. Mm. In April or May of 1989, the drug abuse got bad enough that she actually checked herself into a treatment program, hoping to turn over a new leaf. The issues were apparently also bad enough that a judge took away custody of her children, and by this time, her two young children were living in Texas with their father, her estranged husband. Mm. It is clear that this woman was having a relatively hard time in life, but very little else is clear about her life and comings and goings by late June of 1989. She was last seen outside of a nightclub on July 1st, around 2.30 in the morning. It was 10 days before her divorce with her estranged husband was going to be finalized. Less than 12 hours later, at 10.10 a.m., women's clothing were found by construction workers at a work site. And shortly later, the unidentified body of a female was found behind the construction site near the tree line. She had been strangled to death, and evidence at the scene also indicated that she may have been sexually assaulted. For nine days, this woman was unidentified, but on the 4th of July, a missing person report was filed in York County, which eventually led to her identification. From the beginning, police conducted dozens of interviews with construction workers building the office behind which she was found, passersby. Once they knew who the woman was, of course, the investigation changed focus to her friends, family members, associates, her minister, her brother, her husband, the drug abuse program director, anyone that she knew that she'd crossed paths with. A month passed, and the investigators were no closer to determining what happened to the woman. A detective involved in the case said, quote, At this point, we've pretty much exhausted all leads, though we're still talking with people who were acquainted with her in any way, but so far, the investigation has not revealed anything to help us solve the murder at this time. At that point, did they say whether she had been sexually assaulted? I don't think they knew that soon, but they did eventually release that information to the public that she had been sexually assaulted. Okay. Yeah. Initially, though, they had theories and not much else. They thought perhaps she had been killed elsewhere and dumped in the woods behind the soon-to-be-completed building. Another theory was that maybe the killer staged the crime scene by purposely scattering pieces of her clothing in separate piles to make it appear as if she had been sexually assaulted. That one, of course, was pretty quickly disproven. They also collected evidence. They submitted a sexual assault kit. They waited for results from that. They even arrested a man at one point in time in connection to her murder. But slowly, the case went cold. 
And that man, actually, the charges against him were later set aside by a judge because the DNA evidence excluded him as a suspect. Uh Uh-huh. 30 what? 30. 30 some. How old am I? (laughs) That's the year I was born. 34 years. 35 years. Good Lord. Almost 35 years later, both of these cases, the double murder and the sexual assault and murder of this woman, remained unsolved. Mm. Until 2024, which is the year it is now. Yes. Which is hard to believe. (laughs) When... On the 8th of January, the Virginia State Police released a statement saying that these three cold cases had been resolved, although they are still open and investigations are ongoing. So the cases aren't closed, but they have a suspect. A confirmed. Wow. Confirmed suspect. Guess he's, not called, he's not called a suspect anymore. I don't know. I don't know what he's called. It's complicated. (laughs) Let's get into it. Because here is what we know about this rapidly evolving situation. And although this is unusual for us, if you've been listening, you know, we will be sharing this guy's name because the investigation is ongoing and because authorities are asking for more information about this man to glean more information about the crimes they know he committed, as well as more information about other crimes he may have committed but they don't know about. So we need to go back a couple of years. In December 2017, Alan W. Wilmer Sr., a 63-year-old Northern Neck resident, died in his home. Neighbors described him as a nice, helpful person who loved his dogs and liked to cut down dangerous tree limbs. <laughs> he was apparently cutting down tree limbs for the entire neighborhood, which was helpful. Very helpful. Always good to have a neighbor who will cut down your dangerous tree limbs. <laughs> so apparently, according to his neighbors, he was a nice, helpful guy. And I mean, also, he had no felonies on his criminal record. I looked him up in the Virginia courts database. I didn't find any formal charges, felony or otherwise, against him at all. Not even a speeding ticket? No. Wow. Yeah. Mysterious. I wonder how many other killers have such a clean record. (laughs) No speeding tickets. Good question. I wonder how many other people in the universe have such a clean record. (laughs) No speeding tickets. That's true. That is true. Especially nowadays, these people are driving crazy in these streets. Well, they're probably all serial killers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So he had a clean record. He was a nice, helpful neighbor, and he loved his dogs. Yes. Sounds like a great guy. Since he had never been charged with a felony, his DNA had never been collected for any reason. In fact, both Isle of Wight and City of Hampton Commonwealth's attorneys confirmed that without his death, he never would have been connected to these crimes. Mm. They also confirmed that if he was still alive, he would be charged for all three of these cases. 
what year did you say this guy died? 2017. Just doing the math, which I'm not good at. I remember we very early on, we had conversations about math. That's <laughs> seven years ago. Am I right? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> after he died, yes, his DNA was collected for identification purposes. But just oh. because they collected your DNA to confirm your death doesn't mean they did anything else with it. It didn't go into any sort of criminal database. It basically didn't go anywhere at the time. Well, since they didn't have his DNA on file, how did collecting his DNA verify who he was? Did they say, oh, you think this is your father? Well, you know, we have to collect your DNA to see if there's a familial match or... It's a really good question. I So I listened to the press release from Monday of this week, and they did not go into any additional detail on that topic. Hmm. So the guy's dead. They take his DNA because... Mm -hmm. Apparently, he's, I don't know, unrecognizable? I guess. I mean, he does have a son who does have a couple of, nothing crazy, but a couple of criminal charges that turned up in the court's database. So yeah, I don't know if they compared his DNA to his son to confirm who he was because he was unrecognizable. Well, they it's must definitely have. a missing piece of, as I said, this is happening literally <laughs> right now. Yeah, and so, I, I find a lot of times when watching the news or reading a news story, it always seems like they leave out something. You're like, wait a minute, they didn't address this. So they definitely are leaving things out, probably intentionally. Yeah, maybe. In some cases. So seven years ago, this guy's found dead. They take his DNA. They mm -hmm. figure out who he is. Mm -hmm. And that at that point is that's it. pretty much the end of it. Now, a lot of other things obviously have happened between his death and now. What most or even some of these things are, we don't know. But we do know a couple of interesting things. We know that there was ever-increasing pressure from the families of the Parkway murder victims to use newer, more advanced DNA technologies and to continue to search for the criminal who killed their loved ones. We right. know that at some point in time, a tip came in which led investigators to this man and that after they learned he was deceased, they were able to legally obtain his DNA to so, compare to DNA in these cases, which they already knew were connected because they had DNA that matched. It just didn't match to anything else, anywhere else. It makes it sound like there was something recent that somebody called it's possible, said, but or maybe they our were going favorite through. Andy Fox was at the press release and he <laughs> asked six ways to Sunday what exactly led them to look at this man. And they would they were like, we are not touching on that at this point in time. Hmm. Interesting. Something Andy, keep after them. <laughs> You're our man. You're our man. You, you get these guys. So at some point, maybe somebody maybe was just going through the old records and... Well, I'm getting to that. Okay. 
Because this is another very interesting thing that was mentioned at the press release. And it was very, very, very hard to hear. There was a lot of feedback and static for whatever reason. So I didn't catch a lot of the names of these groups, unfortunately, which I would have liked to have been able to share. But if you guys listen to it, you'll see what I mean. It's literally impossible (laughs) to hear. But apparently in Virginia, there's a group of civilian analysts. They're sponsored by state and federal grants, and they work specifically on cold case sexual assault. Now, we've kind of talked about before, cold cases are typically bottom of the barrel. If you ever have time... Among the 20,000 other things you have to do, maybe you can take a peek at a cold case. But this group of people is this amazing resource that can dedicate all of their time and all of their attention to these cold case sexual assaults. Well, and I, they I, have time to go back and comb through the investigative material with a fine tooth comb. And evidently, they were instrumental in solving these three cases. I remember reading about that so many rape cases were just like set on a shelf and the DNA in them was never run through Mm -hmm. any kind. And so I don't know if it was a lawsuit or public anger, but yes, there was a push to go through and clear all these old cases and to see if the DNA that in some cases had never been checked against any database. Mm -hmm. And so maybe, maybe this group is part of that. I think that's probably pretty likely. Well, good for them. So whatever else might have happened, and I'm sure there are many other things that happened, in 2023, the Virginia Department of Forensic Science issued a certificate of analysis confirming a genetic match to this man for the three crimes we've discussed today. Wow. The two that we covered in more detail last year and the one we introduced tonight. They also said that there is no DNA or physical evidence to link him to the other Parkway murders. Okay, so the hope of any of the other family members who heard this late breaking news were probably dashed. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm sure they're... I have some statements from a couple of family members from the other cases, and it it sounds like they're hopeful and that they're also happy that these three families got some closure, but... Oh, yeah. I'm sure it is kind of weird. You're happy, but I don't know, jealous or angry or sad that... Or maybe you Wondering if you'll ever get that closure... Right. Maybe you think, oh, my God, it, it you know, it might have taken 30 years, but they solved one of them. Maybe that does give you hope. I always wonder if they'll ever find those poor kids' bodies somewhere by now. Where by now? I uh, 30 years, they would probably just be dust. Yeah. yeah. It turns out, by the way, although this information hadn't been released to the public at the time, that the DNA evidence from the murder of the 14-year-old girl, we mentioned it in our initial coverage of the case, but even then, there was no public information about what the source was. It was it was sperm. It was collected during a sexual assault exam. It's awful. It's just horrible. And as for the evidence collected from the 29-year-old woman in 1989, it did turn out 
I mentioned earlier when you asked that she had also been raped. Now, on January 8th, 2024, as I mentioned a couple of days ago, this information was released to the public. During the press release, the director of the Virginia State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigation said, quote, I want to thank the Edwards, Knobling, and Howell families for their patience and understanding over the years. Only those who have suffered the loss of a child in this way can truly understand the depth of their sorrow and the frustration over not knowing who was responsible for taking their loved one's life in such a violent and cruel way. I do hope the identification of the killer brings some sense of closure and peace for them. Moving forward, we continue our work to ensure other families have their day too and a chance at closure and justice. Yes, we can hope. I mean, I think people are just shocked that one of these crimes was solved 35 years later. The whole thing about cold cases, yeah, sometimes sometimes they get lucky. I do think it is amazing and wonderful and fantastic when a cold case like this is solved so many decades later. And I do think it brings hope to the community and hopefully also to the families. Hopefully discourages people from doing awful, atrocious things. It's the thought so that you will be caught even after 35 years... Yeah, you it's know? happened. It has mm -hmm. happened. But you wonder, you have to wonder. I mean, here's a man who killed two young people and raped a, almost a child. and A know, child. And, yes. And then raped and murdered a woman. And a 14-year-old is in eighth grade. She was an oh, eighth God. grader. This can't be the only time. There have to be other victims out there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. Nobody just like snaps twice, kills people, rapes them, and then just says, oh, well, I got that out of my system. I'll just yeah. go back to sawing dangerous limbs for my neighbors. It seems unlikely. It really does. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many other unsolved cases. Well, I wonder if they're very busy feeding his DNA through... A whole bunch of others. I think, to your point, it's possible that there are a lot of other cases where they had DNA that was never tested. Even in these cases, for example, the DNA wasn't really tested because the same sort of technology didn't exist at the time. But the investigators had the forethought of, hey, if this newish DNA technology continues to advance, this stuff could be useful. So they were very, very meticulous about collecting and preserving DNA materials available at the crime scenes. If they hadn't done that, if the investigation happened someplace else, I mean, it's possible there are other cases where they didn't have DNA. It's possible that there are other cases where they had some, but they haven't tested it yet because they had tested the DNA in the 1987 and 1989 crimes we're discussing today and already knew they were linked. So I would think if they had other DNA that had already been tested, they would have mm. linked it to the to those two crimes as well. That's true. That's true. Well, maybe maybe he just had a psychotic break and I, I don't know. Maybe he felt like he had a close call with the second one and it scared him. I don't know. Yeah. 
Maybe they yeah. interviewed him. I mean, we don't really know. We're on the outside looking in here. Maybe they interviewed him in connection to the 1987 case. And well, that thought, scared him. You know, I thought they actually, he was on the radar for the Colonial Parkway murders. That someone back in the day had seen his vehicle. He apparently had a very distinctive blue yes. truck. Mm -hmm. And that somebody did report him and he was interviewed. But I guess he had a good story. He had an alibi. Uh -huh. And that was the end of it. Maybe but that's right. the thing that they found, that that team found combing through the old files. Yeah. We don't really know at this point. The public doesn't really know. Right. Perhaps and the maybe, families do. And obviously law enforcement has much more information. Right. And maybe just being called in and questioned was enough to make him think, oh, you know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of eyes out there. Better change my ways. I do feel, like you say, there's a lot that I'm sure the families have been told and a lot the police, law enforcement knows that they're not sharing with us yet. And mm -hmm. maybe they never will. Mm -hmm. But maybe in a, you know, I don't know, a month we'll give another update. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I don't know. I feel like there never is another update. It always just kind <laughs> of like peters out. But hopefully we will. Hopefully we will get additional information and I at least hope that the families are getting additional information and some additional closure to the horrible ordeal they've been through. We always talk about families and how these things are so awful. And reading an article, I read someone, I don't remember who said it, maybe the police chief, that we also had to keep the family of the perpetrator in our minds and hearts, because yeah. what a horrible shock this came to them, that their father, whomsoever, uncle, did these things. Yeah, I actually have part of the statement, I think maybe what you're referencing, from his family. Oh, okay. They said that the crimes come as a complete and horrific shock to them. And that they learned about all of this as the same time other members of the public did. They said, in part, quote, The man who committed these crimes was not someone we knew. The revelation of what he's done has deeply impacted our family as we are forced to reconcile who we believed him to be with the unimaginable things he has done. We deeply mourn with the victims' families and the community and have them in our prayers. We can't imagine what they've gone through for all these years. We are fully cooperating with law enforcement and are asking for privacy during this extremely difficult time. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I imagine it would be a, just an unbelievable shock. You hear about a lot of these murderers who are caught years later and their families are just blindsided yeah he was god he was a great guy i mean yeah imagine um, i mean he has like i said he has at least one son imagine you suddenly learn that the person who raised you for i don't know he was 63 when he passed away his son could be in his 40s the person yeah. who raised you and was your dad for 40 some years was murdered a bunch of people in the 80s 
True. On the other hand, I get the feeling maybe the family wasn't that close. I mean, the man did lay maybe. dead for a month and nobody yeah, seemed to. I would to... like to know more about that. Yeah. I mean, all these neighbors, didn't anybody bring him cookies because he was... Weren't they like, why isn't he here cutting down our dangerous limbs? <laughs> I know. That's very curious, but I think that's one of the details that we'll never hear any more about. Yeah. Why this guy just laid in his house for a month. Very strange. Yeah. Speaking of family... The families of the victims also released statements through law enforcement. They were very clear that they did not want to be interviewed. They did not want to speak to the public. They wanted privacy. The family of the victims who lost their lives on Ragged Island in 1987 said, quote, For 36 years, our families have lived in a vacuum of the unknown. We have lived with the fear of worrying that a person capable of deliberately killing Robin and David could attack and claim another victim. Now we have a sense of relief and justice knowing that he can no longer victimize another. They also extended their prayers toward the 29-year-old woman's family, saying that they're now connected through this tragedy and will forever be linked. And they did, this could also be what you're talking about, mom. They also said in part of their statement, quote, we also recognize this is a difficult time for the Wilmer family and ask that the public extend the same grace to them as we do. Yeah, hopefully no one will blame them or people are strange. The internet but... have come after people for much less. Let's yeah. say that much. Right. Police in Hampton also shared a statement from the family of the 29-year-old woman who lost her life in 1989. They said, quote, while we are grateful for the closure that has been provided, nothing will bring Terry back. The void left by her absence over the years is inexpressible. Yeah, she had two little children who, golly, would be in their 30s or 40s by now. Yeah, I think they were born in 83 and 87. One mm. was born in 83, for sure. That's what, 41 years ago? Yeah. Mm. So late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you can call this one a good episode. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yes, I think it has some redeeming qualities. Right. Finally, a closure for the family. Hopefully there will be more closure to come. Hopefully. Well, we will stay on top of it and we will trust Andy Fox to do his job. <laughs> <laughs> now... To wrap things up, that's the that's all the information we have on this for now. It might be double underlined and circled and posted up on the wall. But as the investigations continue, remember, these investigations are ongoing. The FBI is asking for additional information from anyone who may have known or seen this man in any capacity. So a little bit of additional information about him. At the time of the crimes in the late 80s, Wilmer, who went by the nickname Pokey, with Hokey? a P, the Hokey oh Pokey, Pokey with a P. 
We had a dog named Pokey, Pokey. Little Puppy. <laughs> yes. Wasn't there a book called The Pokey Little Puppy? Yes, yes. It's yes. it's a very cutesy little nickname. It is. For a five foot five, muscular, 165 pound man. Mm. He was 33 years old in 1988, right between the two crimes. He had sandy brown hair, blue eyes, and sported a close cropped beard. As you mentioned, he drove a very distinctive blue 1966 Dodge Fargo pickup with the personalized Virginia license plate M-RAW, E-M-R-A-W. What does that even mean? I don't know. (laughs) It's like, baby, I like them raw. I don't know who that is. Oh, baby, I like it raw. (laughs) Okay. So I, you know, I have to say if I was going to be a criminal, I would drive the most common looking car. (laughs) The truck also had writing all over the one or both of the door panels. The big white business ad logo style design. It was very distinct. Very strange. And apparently it was one of several trucks he was known to drive in the 80s and 90s. So maybe he should have picked a different one, a less distinct one. (laughs) The police come to you and there was a crime at the 7-Eleven and they say, (laughs) well, did you notice anything? And you say, yeah, I I did see this like big blue truck with this stupid personalized (laughs) license. (laughs) Oh, well. Just a thought. It's a thought. He obviously <laughs> didn't watch enough Law and Order. Law and Order. <laughs> but you know, though, though most of the people in Law and Order aren't driving because they live in New York City. Oh, let's say they're walking. They're walking and taking buses on the subway. Good point. <laughs> well, he was too busy to watch Law and Order because he worked as a fisherman and he owned a small 1976 custom built commercial wooden fishing boat called the Denny Wade. He spent mm. a lot of time at marinas in Gloucester and Middlesex counties and he farmed clams and oysters. He also did some landscaping work, thus, the limb removal. And owned a company called Better Tree Service. Better Tree. You know, I have to say, a man who spends a lot of time on the water, that's a good way to get rid of bodies that never Would they never be found? I guess if he went out far enough, they could get like eaten by a shark or something. Yeah. If he weighted them down. But wouldn't they eventually float up? I don't know. I don't know. A foot? You mean when they began to sort of. Yeah. Don't you remember there was there's this mysterious phenomena of all these feet like wash like feet and (laughs) limbs and things like washing up somewhere over on the West Coast. And they said it's it's people. It's not murder victims by and large. It's people who drown or, you know, one way or another fell off a boat, committed suicide, accidental drownings, whatever. And as they decompose and get like nibbled on the feet survive because they're inside shoes and then they wash up. So with Yeah, but you're saying that those people just accidentally or purposely fell off a boat. True, true. So nobody weighted them down or, you know, true. 
buried them in a crab pot or something like that. It's true. This just kind of gave me the creeps when you said that he spent a lot of time on the water. Well, here's something else that will give you the creeps. He was also an avid hunter. So Mm. remember that some of these people were found on one of the couples was found on an old hunting logging path by hunters i mean he would have known the land relatively well and apparently he did belong to at least one hunt club in the middle peninsula area he also probably would have been good with firearms better than the average joe at least true now in the press release the police asked for anyone who may have worked with him farmed oysters and clams with him docked next to him at marinas in the northern neck Hampton Roads or Middle Peninsula or hung out with him. Apparently he frequented several bars and clubs to call the FBI. Anonymous tips are welcome and no tip is too small. If you think you know anything, you're encouraged to call the FBI, submit a tip online or reach out to the state police. And we will have all of the contact information. There's a portal online you can use. There's an email address. There's a phone number. We'll have all of that contact information in the show notes for today's episode. We will also have pictures of him through the years, as well as pictures of his blue truck and his boat on our social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Maybe help jog some memories. Indeed. Do we think that, what do you think? Did he just stumble upon these people? There's so many questions. Did he just stumble upon these people? Was the 20-year-old guy just a casualty of his horrible sexual desires? I don't know. It's very hard. Yeah, it's very hard to figure out how he could have stumbled across this couple at a wildlife refuge in the middle of the night. Now, the woman... That's not that strange. He could have been at the bar. He could have followed Mm -hmm. her out of the bar. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we will never know what brought him close to those two kids and put them in his path. wonder if he was on his boat. Could be. Could be. Maybe he was just docked out there, saw him on the beach. Not docked. Anchored. Mm. He was anchored out close to the shore, heard them, saw them. That would kind of make sense. Don't go outside in the dark. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Lock yourselves inside. Daytime hour activities only. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, do you have anything to add? No, I think it's pretty amazing news. and Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year. I hate to say it, but this is a little bit of good news for the it new It is. Year. It is. It's horrible and devastating that shit like this happens and I'll never be able to get over it. But it is very, very good news that they finally have some answers. Right. And at least one of these crimes that's really haunted this community. Well, hopefully something else will come out. But meanwhile, like I say, there's at least some sense of closure for three families and a sense of horror for another one. Yeah. And I guess my sprinkle sort of, and you mentioned, or we talked about this very briefly earlier, 
the family members of some of the other Parkway killing victims are also asking for help from the public. The brother of the 27-year-old former sailor who was one of the victims of the first double murder on the Parkway said, quote, we need people to think long and hard if they have ever crossed paths with this man. Go back and take a look at this gentleman. They've got really great pictures of him with age progression, what he looked like back in the 80s, what he looked like a few years before he passed. People may remember something. This is a time for the public to step forward. And the mother of the young woman who disappeared after a first date in 1988 said in an interview, quote, the only thing this can do bringing it out is shake the wool out of the trees because there's someone, people who know what happened and they're just too afraid to come forward. She also said, my daughter did not deserve anybody to do something like this. She was a kind person. She treated everybody with respect. She'd give the shirt off her back if you needed it. And she was loved by a lot of people who still remember her. Yep. You see something, say something. Right. Because maybe that's part of what brought some of this to light. Like you said, someone saw that blue truck. Someone saw something that that team dug out. Right. That blue truck was somewhere in all those files, in all those interviews, in all those phone calls. Yes, Luckily, indeed. Yep. We'll stick it up on the wall for a, <laughs> for a recheck. <laughs> all the fingers and toes crossed that everything, if this man did other things, everything he did will be brought to light. Yep. Hopefully, Hopefully. other families can get some peace. I am sticking it on the wall. Till next time. Yes, until next time. You can email us, murdereryouknow at gmail.com. And as I said, we will have some pictures, hopefully things that can help jog people's memories released by the FBI on our social media platforms for this episode. So check those out. We're Murderer You Know Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And like, share, subscribe. It can be your New Year's <laughs> resolution, baby. Yeah, do it. <laughs> All righty. Bio, bio. Adieu.